you're visiting with us and you have not filled out one of those cards that's on the back of the pew in front of you, we'd appreciate you doing so. Stick around. Let us get to know you a little better. We'll feed you. Is that better? That's my fault. Takes a big man to know when he's wrong. And I'm a big man. Don't, Nick, don't. Anyway, stick around. There's lunch afterward. We'd be happy to feed you and let you know that we appreciate you. Uh, So you may have noticed that there's no kingdom kids this morning. If you missed the big circle slash on the slide, um, what's happening at this point is we're going to take a little break from Kingdom Kids for a while. Uh, If you have a child that's normally been participating in Kingdom Kids, there are busy bags in the back corner of the auditorium. Now, what we're asking is you use those bags and put them back without any trash in them at the end of the worship. If the bag needs attention, Put it on the front pew, and we can get that taken care of. Uh, so from the, in the future, moving forward, when we see that Kingdom Kids slide pop up, that can be an opportunity for you to take your child over there, grab the bag, come back and have a seat when they're there. And of course, for those of us that have to have all the little kids in with us, I'll remind you of how the disciples reacted when people tried to bring their children to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19 and verse 13, some children were brought to Jesus so that Jesus may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked them. Jesus presents a very different attitude than the disciples did when he says, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Let's be patient with our parents of small children. Are they gonna cry? Probably. I make some of the adults cry on occasion. We don't make fun of them or kick them out for that. But let's have some patience and be a family as we work with the parents of small children through all of this. Want to remind everybody, Camp Red Oak Springs still needs some helpers. If you're interested in being a crafty person or a counselor, talk to Nick. He has all of the details on that. It's potluck today. Some of us are real excited about that. Stick around, enjoy the fellowship. After the fellowship and we get everything cleaned up, we'll meet back in here for a devotional. After that, uh, looking forward to just spending some time with you. I have a challenge for you today at Potluck. I know that we like to eat with certain people, okay? It's kind of like, this is my pew, I'm not gonna sit in any other pew. I'm gonna challenge you today to eat with a person that you've never eaten with before and ask them questions so that you get to know them a little bit better during that time period while you're putting food in your face. 39ers is this week on Wednesday. Our speaker is gonna be Becky Garola of the ABC Pregnancy Resource Center. Lunch is gonna be smoked pork chops. We ask that you bring a side and a dessert to that at 10.30. This Thursday evening, show up at Jeremy's house. We'll sing some songs for an hour and then you all will leave at around 10, which has been about the norm. Looking forward to having you all there for that. Uh, Also a reminder that this coming up Saturday is our first men's Bible study. Saturday morning, 7 a.m., we're going to feed you some breakfast, we're going to spend some time in the Word, and we're going to talk seriously about what it means to be God's man today. We're going to talk about subjects that might be a little bit uncomfortable, but that's okay. We will grow together. We will encourage each other. We will be better for it at the end than we were at the beginning. At least that's the goal. 
There's some sign-up sheets in the back. I appreciate all of your work and effort on getting the 85th anniversary sign-up taken care of. That list is done. We need no more help on the sign-up sheets, uh, but we still would like to see you there on that Saturday and Sunday for the 85th. But there are still two open slots on the VBS sign-up sheet for teachers. If you are waiting to let everyone have an opportunity to be a blessing to others before you put your name on it, now is the time for you to put your name on it. Everybody that has signed up has signed up. We still need two sets of teachers for two different classes for VBS. And understand, VBS is coming in July. That's right around the corner. Please don't stress out Amy Derwin. Put your name on the list. There's also a sign-up sheet for the prayer group that Daniel had mentioned last month, or actually, I guess it would still be this month when Daniel made that announcement. Uh, and he's still interested in getting people to sign up for that as he's working through how that's going to work. But if you're interested in being a part of the prayer group, go ahead and sign up on that. He will appreciate that. This morning, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to start with a study of the book of Nehemiah. And we're not going to read a single line from Nehemiah today. What I'm going to encourage you to do every week is to read a chapter a week from the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. You read it ahead of time, we'll deal with that chapter that following Sunday. So for this week, you'll need to read Nehemiah chapter one. I don't care how you do it. I don't even care if you turn on your Bible app and have that guy with the silken voice read it to you. But just, re just read it. Not saying study it, because I think at times we miss the joy of just reading the story and we get so wrapped up in having to study everything out to the nth degree, we miss the joy of just hearing God's story being told uh, through different things. So read Nehemiah chapter one in preparation for our time together next week. And this entire study is gonna be based off of this quote that I found. I don't even know the source of the quote, but the quote is, the only difference between ordinary and extraordinary are the actions you decide to take. The only difference between ordinary and extraordinary are the actions you decide to take. I am a firm believer, guys, that God can and does do amazing things through ordinary people. He will perform the extraordinary through the ordinary. And as we start our study of the man that this book is named after, I want us to be paying attention to the ways God uses him to accomplish things that had been impossible before he comes on the scene. Nehemiah is an interesting book, right? Uh, and when you look at it historically, it used to be the way that the Jewish people had it all lined out is that Nehemiah and Ezra were originally one book. And it was actually called Ezra 1 and Ezra 2, or 1st Ezra and 2nd Ezra, depending on how you want to say that. In fact, what we think of as Nehemiah, the book of Nehemiah, actually doesn't appear until the 1560s when the Geneva Bible rolls out. And they actually started calling it Nehemiah. The Old Testament history book, is, this book is going to tell us about Nehemiah's role in the rebuilding of Jerusalem in the fortify, into a fortified city, because remember, the city is destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. The walls are torn down as the people are led away into captivity. Nehemiah is going to come back in. He's going to rebuild the city as a fortified city, but he's also going to establish civil authority while he's there during this time period. Now understand, 
About a thousand years after Moses, Israel is in a high state of desperation, right? The northern and the southern kingdoms have been led away into captivity. Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed. Babylon has deported all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they make it basically a ghost town. And while in Babylon, the Jews begin making houses for themselves, and they do this because of what Jeremiah told them in Jeremiah chapter 29, in verses four through seven, there Jeremiah says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare, you will have welfare. So notice what Jeremiah is telling them. This is all part of God's plan. God understands that. He has certain things that he wants you to accomplish while you're there, namely, grow in number, make sure you're praying for the welfare of the city, which boy, wouldn't that be difficult? These are the people that just took you into captivity and now you're being told that you have to pray for your captors and you have to pray for the city that you find yourself in. But this is what God had called them to do. And they had to do this for 70 years. While the land re was able to have its Sabbath. And so after 70 years of captivity, the Jewish people are given the opportunity to return to Jerusalem. Now understand, I had in my head that there would just be this mass exodus pun intended, from Babylon back to Jerusalem of all of God's people, right? Because if you were deported from Jerusalem and you're growing up on the stories and your grandpa's like, I remember living in God's city in Jerusalem where the temple was and all of these things, would you be excited about going back? Would you want to go back to the land of your forefathers, of the land of promise, all of these things? There's about two to three million Jewish people living in Babylon after the 70-year time period and only 50,000 of them returned to Jerusalem. Nehemiah's story occurs some, uh, let's estimate about 150 years after the destruction of Jerusalem. So that means the 70 year time period has already occurred. People have returned back to Jerusalem, but Nehemiah still finds himself in Babylon, serving as the cupbearer to the king. 150 years after the people have been allowed to return to Jerusalem, the walls of the city are still rubble. Nothing is going on. And previously, Ezra tells us that the, the Jewish people had attempted to rebuild the walls, but they'd been stopped. Look at what Ezra says in Ezra chapter four. <coughs> Ezra chapter four, we're gonna read quite a bit of it. Starting in verse eight. I'll give you a little bit of time to turn there if you're using a paper Bible. Ezra is one of those books that we don't often just can flip to right away. <laughs> Ezra chapter four, we'll start in verse eight. Rehum the commander and Shimshai the scribe wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes as follows. Then wrote Rehum the commander and Shimshai the scribe and the rest of their colleagues, the judges and the lesser governors, the officials, the secretaries, the men of Eric, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is the Elamites, and the rest of the nations which the great and honorable Asnapur deported and settled in the city of Samaria. 
and in the rest of the region beyond the river. Now, this is the copy of the letter which they sent to him, to King Artaxerxes, your servants, the men in the region beyond the river. And now let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now let it be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and it will damage the revenue of the kings. Now, because we are in the service of the palace and it is not fitting for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore we have sent and informed the king so that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers. And you will discover in the record books and learn that that city is a rebellious city and damaging to kings and provinces that they have incited revolt within it in past days. Therefore, that city was laid waste. We inform the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls finished, as a result, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. Then the king sent an answer to Rehum the commander, to Shimshai the scribe, and to the rest of their colleagues who live in Samaria and in the rest of the provinces beyond the river. Peace. And now the document which you sent to us has been translated and read before me. A decree has been issued by me And a search has been made, and it has been discovered that that city has risen up against the kings in past days, that rebellion and revolt have been perpetrated in it, that mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem, governing all the provinces beyond the river, and that tribute, custom, and toll were paid to them. So now issue a decree to make these men stop work, that this city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. Beware of being negligent in carrying out this matter. Why should... Damage increased to the detriment of the kings. Then as soon as the copy of King Artaxerxes' document was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their colleagues, they went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. So it's not to say that the people didn't try to rebuild. It's that they were stopped physically by the surrounding people after Artaxerxes has written this letter. Now at this point understand where where their mind is at on this. There is an obstacle in front of them that is impossible to overcome. They have tried to do the work. They have tried to rebuild the city, but they have been stopped at every turn to the point of physical violence being brought against them. They are no longer building the city. The city is in complete disrepair. In 1999, a man by the name of John Nguyen decides that he's going to launch this high-end travel company in Vietnam. Now, at this point in time, things weren't great in that section of the world, and everybody looked at him and said, man, you are absolutely crazy. You want to turn, a, turn Vietnam in this area into a high-end travel area, and you're going to start a travel company during this time, because... At that point, the average tourist in Vietnam was simply just those guys that go around with backpacks and a guidebook, right? They're out there. They're not looking to spend a lot of money. They're trying to get as much for free as they can do it. uh, And they're trying to explore third world countries as cheap as they possibly can. Opening up this type of business makes no sense. And there was another thing about it, too, because Nguyen was completely blind. Being blind doesn't mean you can't see. Nguyen's able to actually see what other people can't see. And so what he does 
is that he understands that there's, with the new millennium coming in, that it's gonna bring all of these visitors to Vietnam. And they're gonna want five-star hotels, they're gonna want infrastructure, they're gonna want all of these different things that are out there. Today, 28,000 travelers book tours through his company. His company, Trails of Indochina, employs about 600 people worldwide. His portfolio also includes cruise liners, high-end restaurants, and art galleries. He says the key to his success can be summed up in two words, honor hardship. You see, everybody starts as ordinary. We all start out that way, doing things the way everybody else does things, just being ordinary. And it's not until a defining moment comes in our lives where we decide to make a, where we make a decision that ordinary is not enough. And it's at that point, you face two options. And as Christians, we're gonna break it down as Christians. The two options you face when a defining moment comes up and you realize ordinary isn't enough. Your first option is you realize the situation is too big, you resign yourself to defeat and you run away. The second option is you realize the situation is too big, you seek guidance and power from God and you run to him. Those are our two options, that's it. I know nobody likes to talk about binary choice anymore, but that's how it is. When Nehemiah hears, and you're gonna read about this in chapter one, when Nehemiah hears about the, how destitute Jerusalem is, he could have said, this problem is too big, I can't handle it, I'm stuck being a cupbearer to the king, I'm just gonna stay where I'm at being ordinary. It's not good enough for him to be ordinary. He can't handle being ordinary at this point anymore. But what he does do is seek guidance and counsel through God and let God use him to accomplish what seems impossible. Nehemiah loved God. Nehemiah wanted God to be glorified. Nehemiah led the Israelites to a love of the scriptures and a desire to see God glorified. Nehemiah led them to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem in 52 days. You know, guys, I think at times when those decisions, those moments come up, those defining moments in our lives come up and we realize that something is too big, we, we find ourselves putting so much pressure on ourselves to try and solve the problem, to deal with the solution. When really what we need to be doing is just getting out of the way. Now, understand that if we decide in those defining moments that a situation is too big and we seek counsel and guidance from God and we run to him and we're gonna let him do what he wants to do in our lives and he's gonna turn something ordinary into something extraordinary. He's gonna take the impossible and he's gonna make it possible. Then that means 
or it may mean, I guess I should say, is that as God is using us to his glory, we're gonna be ridiculed and opposed. It may mean that we have to deal with physical opposition. None of those things mattered to Nehemiah. Because what mattered to Nehemiah is that he recognized defeat is never even really an option when God is working through him. Which was the point of our scripture reading this morning from 2 Corinthians. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Paul's point is we carry this hope around within us. It's right here. We carry it around within us so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We get out of the way. We let God do what God does and let God be who God is. So we get out of the way, let him do the working. And Paul even acknowledges, he says, listen, we're afflicted. I get it, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed. Sometimes we just don't understand what's going on. But we don't despair. We're persecuted. But we're not forsaken. We're struck down. We're not destroyed. Because we always carry about in the body the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus is manifested in our body. You understand the, powerful, the power behind that statement that Paul's just made? We live as having died in, our, in this physical realm, in this physical body, so that people can see the life of Christ through the things that we do. He manifests his glory through us. He is the one doing these things. Because while we live, we're constantly being delivered over for, to death for Jesus' sake. That's the nature of Christianity, guys. We die daily. So that the life of Jesus can be seen in us. Death works in us, but it's life for you. See, I think we're a lot more like Nehemiah than we would like to admit. I really, I really do. I think that every single one of us in this room has faced the time of just being ordinary and a moment came in our lives where we decided ordinary was not enough. It was time to be extraordinary. It was time to get out of the way and let God be who God is. Because we understood that when we let God be who God is, that there's no person, there's no institution, there's no group of people who can work like he can work. How many of us are tired of being ordinary? I want to be extraordinary. I want it. I want it so bad I can taste it. But I can't be ordinary if I'm in the way, or excuse me, I can't be extraordinary when I'm in the way. It's time for me to get out of the way, 
let God be who God is and let God work through me the way he wants to work through me. That means, that might mean that I'm ostracized. That might mean that I'm ridiculed. That might mean I might face physical opposition. I don't care. Who's ready to join me on a journey of, ex of extraordinariness? Absolutely, come on, bud. We can do this. This is who God's called us to be, guys. Let's be extraordinary. And let's look at the changes that can be wrought in society when we actually are who God calls us to be. Our invitation song this morning is Lord, Take Control. And if there's not a truer statement that we can make this morning, that is it. Lord, take control of my life. And as we stand and as we sing this song this morning, mean what you say. Whether you're a Christian or not, mean what you say. Because when we tell God to take control and we mean it, he's gonna. And he's gonna lead us in places that we never thought we would go. But he's gonna lift us out of the ordinary. He's gonna make us extraordinary. If you're with us this morning, you're ready to become a Christian be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. If you need the prayers of the church, you need counsel from the elders, you need help, this is the time to make it known by coming forward while we sing.